0: Warning, the following podcast contains descriptions of violence against human beings and may contain descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is not suitable for children under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, Paranormies. I'm Zane. And I'm Kyle. And we're back. (laughs) All right. Well, you guys, this is the first time this has ever happened to me. Um, I feel like emotionally connected to this story, and I was not there, not by a long shot, but... um. As I was researching for this, I I don't. This is the first time I've ever cried writing writing one of these podcasts. I don't uh, know if that will ever happen to me. Well, I didn't think it ever could happen to me. Last time I cried was in Toy Story Four, dude.
1: Oh, seriously? I watched that today. I hated it. Hey, you? I hated that movie so
0: much. Well, so now that we've established that Kyle has zero credibility, um, yeah, no this this was a this was a tough one to write. I I got kind of frustrated by this this episode. Um. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. This is, this is an interesting experience. So it started out with me reading a really, really long document, as it so often does. <laughs> uh, 1,272 pages of government minutiae. Great. Um, spanning everything from a campus security team to the CIA to the desk of the president. Um, all of it was kind of encompassed into eight separate parts of one report. Um, and I think the best way to describe this is probably just going to be to go through my highlights. I have eight pages out of the 1,000-something pages that I feel like are valuable. Great. So let me set the stage for you just a little bit here. Um, the year is 1970. The day exactly would be May 5th. Um, there's a song by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young called Ohio that was written about this event. Uh, it took place at Kent State University inside the United States. Um So it started more like four days before this. Uh, So May 1st, 1970. So a group of angry college students, and we all know we've seen (laughs) the havoc that college students can cause when they're riled up. A group of angry college students surrounds the ROTC building on the campus of Kent State University. And in a series of events, the building gets burned down. Um, It's questioned whether Molotov cocktails were thrown or what was used, but it was burned down in protest to the Vietnam War specifically to a speech given a few days prior by Richard Nixon, where Mm -hmm. he talked about our involvement in the war and how he'd be increasing some of that involvement in the war. And so this is a very interesting kind of pretext to what we're going to be discussing. So these students are standing around, and you can imagine their feelings. Most of these kids are probably in danger of going to the draft, if not already drafted. Some of them are vets, and they don't want to go back to fight in a country where they're not involved in the fight. Nobody, nobody who's involved in Vietnam really needed to be at that point. Mm -hmm. We were fighting a war against somebody we couldn't win, which is like I've said in my previous episodes, plug, 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 something that every president who was involved in the Vietnam campaign knew from the start. Right. And almost every single one of them at some point promised to get us out of Vietnam, then escalated. So keep that in mind as you look at the Iraq war and the war in in Afghanistan and remember something about that. There are kids who were not born on 9-11 that are fighting over there right now. Just let that sink in for a minute.
1: Hang on. Did you say there were kids that were not born
0: there on 9-11? Kids, there are kids who were not born when 9-11 happened. Okay. That are now fighting the war. Right. In Iraq. Yeah. And I find that that's kind of interesting as we talk about this. So let's return to that, uh, that ROTC building. Mm-hmm. We've got a bunch of college kids standing around. The police are there. They're trying to disperse this crowd of angry kids that have thrashed this ROTC building. Now, it's notable that a couple soldiers that were in the ROTC building were hurt during the event, but it wasn't like they were being targeted. They burned the building. That's what happened. Right, and that's where we start here in a United States memorandum, um, written for written uh, with the subject line "Firebombing of Army ROTC Building, Kent State University." Ohio. And then there's a bunch of captions here, like a bunch of like for lack of a better term like hashtags. Okay. So it says sabotage, sedition, civil rights, federally protected activity. That's what they've capitalized on with this. Okay. I want to highlight one section here. So this is a section that's at the very top and it says since 5170 civil disturbances on the campus of KSU Kent State University have resulted in extensive damage to property. On 5270 Unknown persons destroyed an ROTC facility on campus by fire. These disturbances were highlighted by the death of four students and wounding of several others. On 5470, the Internal Security Division of the department requested an investigation be conducted to determine whether violations of sabotage, sedition, and civil rights laws have been committed in connection with the bombing of the ROTC building. So essentially, this is a request that there be an investigation into who. Blew up the ROTC building, right. which I think is probably a, a fair thing, and well, it's, yeah, it's federal I mean property, that. and it's on a it's on a private institution. Right. So this was written basically as kind of a, a heads up. The next one, once again, same captions: sabotage, sedition, civil rights. The department requested an investigation be conducted concerning the firebomb of the ROTC building. In in addition. Uh, To substantive violations of the department advised, it desires an investigation to establish a conspiracy to destroy the ROTC and requests the following. Names of participants setting the fire in the building and the names of the persons in the organizations investigating the or in names of the persons organizing, Mm -hmm. uh, instigating or enticing damage, obtain a post or preact statement by leaders, including speeches urging or abolishment of the ROTC, any leaflets or printed material. Um, so basically what they're looking for, and they, they even use the phrase militant new left leadership, like they're, they're terrified of this, this group of students that are essentially free thinkers. Now, granted, it's a little difficult to just lean to that side and say, everybody who was a draft dodger was just, you know, fighting out of patriotism or trying to show that they were not going to. Take it from Nixon. Right. But basically what they're asking is, hey, so because someone burned down the building, we now have an excuse to basically round up all the lefties on the campus and try to make sure that we get them off the campus. So I'm picturing this like horn rimmed glass old dean sitting in his office furiously (laughs) writing out this memo so that he can get those hippies off of his lawn. That's basically what he's (laughs) saying here. Like that's like exactly to a T, like find pamphlets. Then it moves into some of the witnesses and their testimonies. And by the way, this is a thousand seven hundred page or two hundred page document. So we're moving into witnesses and testimonies and it says blank, 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 who reportedly asked. uh, Oh, sorry. Blank, blank, blank. So this is the person in question who reportedly has info about the hippie and hippie type individuals in a Volkswagen on KSU campus on the night of burning. Mm hmm. Blank, blank, blank of Akron, Ohio, telephonically advised blank, a KSU student, that he can identify a KSU professor who encouraged students to demonstrate and threatened them with grades if they did not. So now they're getting phone reports from a supposed student who's saying, I can tell you a professor? who threatened me with a bad grade if I didn't demonstrate against the war. Mm. Uh-huh. Interesting. So they said that they phoned that in. Interesting, because when right. you phone something in at that point, no one knows who you are. Crazy. More evidence needed to get lefties off of the KSU campus? Hmm. Above individuals should be promptly interviewed. And then we move into where it gets starting to be very real. Um, Now we're moving into FBI territory. So this was a federal crime. You burnt down a federally owned building. That's what the ROTC buildings are. So the FBI is like, sweet, we'll get involved in taking out people that could potentially be communist, socialists, or other kinds of free thinkers. So they decide to now bump it up to here. So this is from the director of the FBI. Mm-hmm. This this next one I'm about to read. And it says at the very bottom, the, the, the text itself is not super in-depth. It's just kind of another like, hey, this is what's going on. It does briefly mention that they executed a warrant. Um... And that they found nothing. Mm -hmm. So clearly they're doing a bang up job. But at the very bottom, it says the bureau is likewise kept fully appraised so that assistant attorney general Yeagley may be kept advised. So the assistant AG of the United States is now involved in this burning of an ROTC building on a college campus in Ohio. Oh, geez. And once again, the fact that this was such a concern to them is such a poignant example of how afraid we were of anything that was communist, socialist, or in, other right. way, in, in, in any other way, dissident. Right. Like, I'm just picturing all of these parents who were raised in a very strict upbringing thinking, oh, you damn hippies. And it's like, no, it's very different. The war you fought was a war that was necessary. The war we're fighting is abjectly unnecessary. It is total bullshit." Right. And so on this next one, it says students. So it starts basically listing off groups within the college Mm -hmm. that are now like enemy number one, like think Dolores Umbridge. Okay. And one of them is called SDS, Students for Democratic Society, which is so ironic that that would go on the no list. (laughs) Um, And then it says the group, or this is a, this is a sworn testimony, by the way. Mm -hmm. So this is a student, the names are all blacked out because it's a redacted file from the Freedom of Information Act. But this sounds crazy scripted to me. And I want your opinion on this, Kyle. Okay. So... It's going through, and it's basically like, she is a senior at Kent State University. She is getting a degree in this. On the night of this, she saw this. And then, I didn't drop any names, though, I'm, or I'm sure it's redacted. The names are all redacted. Okay. But it says right here at the bottom, Okay. she has heard that the SDS members, once again, remember SDS is on the no list, mm-hmm. on the campus advocate the complete overthrow of every existing principle or value that the United States stands for. If that's not scripted, I don't know what is. Like... Right. That's not a college student saying that. That's that's, <laughs> that's somebody giving her a leading question exactly. by saying, have you heard that the SDS is advocating for the, let me read this directly, complete overthrow of every existing principle and value that the United States stands for? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess so. Sweet, we'll mark it down. Like, yeah. that's such bullshit. Right. And this is all just to make... A point. This Mm -hmm. is to make a point about how the left is evil and the right is all knowing and how we can't be socialist, we can't be communist because America. And frankly, socialism and communism do not work in my opinion, but that's beside the point. You have the right to be one if you want to be one. You have the right Right. to believe that. This is America, or supposedly it is at this point. So that felt really scripted to me. Yeah. Now, this is where I'm going to start letting you in on a bit of a secret here. Okay. The firebombing isn't where it ends. Do you remember when I briefly mentioned earlier that four students were killed in conjunction with the firebombing? Right. They weren't at the building. Oh. And they weren't in the building, and they weren't even near the building. But they were killed in association with the bombing of the building. Association could, could be a word for it. All I'm going to tell you is that this is part of her testimony. She did not know whether the Kent Free University or the Kent New University Conference or the 23rd Concerned Faculty Members or the SDS or the KSU, so different, Groups of, not, of supposedly no-gooders mm-hmm. had anything to do with either the burning of the ROTC building or the May 4th, 1970 shooting incident. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm going to tell you for now, but I'm going to keep moving on because okay. we're going to come back to that. That's okay. important. Um This is somebody who I think is probably a leader in the SDS. The names are all redacted, and the affiliations are all redacted. Uh But this testimony is super damning, and I don't think that you would have this kind of info if you weren't in the SDS. I'm going to have to pull this closer to me because it's like, look at that. That's not English. (laughs) Um, So this is a different testimony. He stated that regarding the school's administration and the ROTC... He was against the ROTC being on campus and disagreed with the administration of the school. By the way, that was like the kiss of death back then. Like, you were out of the school if that happened. Like, how dare you disagree with my all-knowing godlike power? I mean, college really hasn't changed that much, but... He also stated that he was against the involvement of the United States in Vietnam and Cambodia and stated or and had taken part in the following demonstrations in order to demonstrate his convictions on the matter. Now, real quick, this is a list. This is on a government file, a list making sure that they narrate and document every time that this person has been a supposed dissident. Interesting. Okay, real quick. There was this other group that recorded things you did and made sure that they kept track of who was a friend and who was a foe, and they were called the Russians. You dumb... <laughs> Like, who's fascist now? Like, we're we're sitting here writing down every time that they've been a supposed dissident because they think different than the mass or they think different than you. Right. So it continues. October 15th. It even has dates. 1969. Moratorium for peace in Vietnam. Excellent video. You should watch it on YouTube. November 15th, 1967. Or 1969. Sorry. Student Mobilization Committee, which engaged in peace demonstrations in Washington, D.C. Oh, the horror. The thing we fought the Civil War for. (laughs) May 1969, Cleveland Peace March. Once again, the thing we fought the f-ing Civil War for. I'm sorry, this fires me up. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> he also advised that in the fall quarter of 1969 at Kent State University, he was active in the Student Mobilization Committee to end the war in Vietnam. So... This kid's politically active. We can't have that. Right. Also stated that he was active during the students, uh, in the students for a democratic society. So he's part of the SDS, which is essentially, once again, because of death. Mm -hmm. Um, The chapter, which was active at Kent State last year. Now, this is a part that I just find a little bit horrifying. So they had executed a search warrant on this kid's home or apartment or dorm, wherever he was. Mm -hmm. He admitted that he had a photo of Chigua in his room and shared it, but insisted that it was strictly nonviolent. Okay, why does it matter if he has a picture of Che Guevara in his room? Right. Isn't this America? Aren't we allowed to have our personal opinions? Aren't we allowed to have whatever the hell we want? I mean, we still let people fly Confederate flags. Right. (laughs) And I'm sorry, guys. I lived in the South. I love you all. It's not heritage, guys. It's the war flag of Mm -hmm. the South. We're not going to get over that. Right. please, for the love, (laughs) fly it in your house, fly it it on your compound, but don't fly it in public. People get upset. I'm not one of those. It doesn't generally bother me, but it's still (laughs) a fact is a fact. It is the Southern War flag. So we're moving on. Um, He also, or he, yeah, he also said that students were very upset. Actually, it says "very quite," but that's not English. He also <laughs> says students were quite upset and agitated after President Nixon's speech concerning the entry of the United States troops into Cambodia. So this was an expansion on the Vietnam War, right? And he said he felt uh, they acted. This acted as a catalyst for the demonstrations at Kent State University. So for the burning of the uh, the building. So he thinks that the speech from Nixon is essentially what led to that. Um, I'm gonna fast forward just a bit here okay. because during the next couple of days there are several demonstrations. Most of them nonviolent, some of them where rocks are thrown, pepper sprays used, you know, mm-hmm. nothing insane. But you know, your your traditional college student fair where things are a little out of hand, emotions are pretty high. I was a college student not that long ago. When there's a movement, everybody wants to be involved or no one wants to be involved. It's kind of how it goes. So mm-hmm. I understand the justifiably kind of terrifying rage that they felt because they were all like, We're gonna go to Cambodia and die for what? So Nixon can say we have a bigger dick than Russia. Like <laughs> right. neat. You know, wh- why am I going? So three days go by. It's over a weekend. So all the students are out of class and it's it's probably some fairly heavy protesting. It leads to a lot of um, just kind of uprising, not, mm-hmm. not a ton of violence, but a lot of uprising where it's just students being students. Right. And then May 4th comes around. So it's three days after the initial kind of impetus of this, the burning of the ROTC building. Right. So I want you to feel like kind of this emotion that they're feeling. They're all amped up on teen spirit and you know, all amped up on this this kind of feeling that's like... <laughs> smells like
1: teen spirit. Smells like teen spirit.
0: <laughs> but they all have this feeling of, like, mutually assured destruction, I guess yeah. you could say. You know, where we're, what a rioting crowd feels like. Kind of a mob right. mentality. Now, right. the difference is that they're not actively ripping things apart yet, and they're not destroying things yet. Right. But it's a really tense situation. So we got cops on one side, we've got them on the other side, and the cops become the enemy because they're the peacekeepers, even though they're just doing their job. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's something where... Bad cops have unfortunately given everybody that moniker at this point. Right. The, the moron cops, The you know. Yeah. The ones that aren't good. I have a lot of police officer friends that the I think that do a good job. But either way, so things are pretty intense. Um, and by the afternoon, there's a huge group gathered in this kind of bowl area over by a dorm. Okay. And there's a there's a gent named Ken Hammond. It's His name's like one of the only ones that's in here. <laughs> who drives a Jeep out onto this field um, uh-huh. that they're in. And he starts yelling at them to disperse. Nothing changes, but they start pelting in with rocks. Great. Um, my understanding is that Ken Hammond is actually one of is part of the military. I, I found a couple cross-references where it was a military jeep, and it was kind of thrashed with rocks. And, like, people were just like, get out of here. We don't really want to deal with you. You're the whole reason that we're here. And the reason that it was a military jeep, by the way, this is actual, is that the National Guard was called in. Oh, because of that. The civil unrest. The You know, the amount of civil unrest is just unbearable here. We can't have this much <laughs> free thinking. So... The National Guard's there. And keep in mind, most of these National Guard kids Mm -hmm. are their age. Some of them are returned vets from Vietnam who've seen some Like, this is bad. Right. And so now you have guys, fingers on triggers, M4s loaded, looking at these kids at Kent State who are either their age or a little younger thinking, you've never been there. Right. You don't know what the you're talking about. Right. Now, some of them, once again, it's National Guards. I don't know if they were deployed. I don't know how that all works. But essentially, they're still young soldiers looking at younger people. Right. Thinking, you spoiled kids. Like- we're here protecting you. We're here actively joining the reserve. We're here actively, actively joining the national guard. And you guys are all complaining because you have to join or you're complaining because you have it so hard. Look at you in your freaking Ivy league lives, like right. up yours. Right. And so there's now a real division where people are yelling at each other and there's, there's just, it's not good. The situation is deteriorating rapidly. And the commander on site at that point ordered the crowd to disperse. Mm-hmm. And this is where things get really, really bad um, because you have jumpy soldiers who are getting pelted with rocks, who are just trying to do their job, but they're armed with assault weapons and they're standing there looking at this group of basically teenagers, yeah, causing havoc, yeah. And essentially, there there comes out an order that says basically, "You guys move, we're going to shoot." And this is this is kind of heart wrenching. This is um. So this, there was a teacher at the site. Obviously, there were several there. Some of them actually speaking out against the war as well. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Frank, who was one of the professors there, came out and delivered kind of a chilling message. But I just, I want you to listen to this. This is the voice of Glenn Frank talking to the students, this mass gathering of students. Okay.
1: Never listened to anyone before in your life. I am begging you right now. If you don't disperse right now, they're going to move in, and there can only be a swallower. Would you please listen to me? Jesus Christ, I don't want to be a part of
0: this. So that is, right. that's Glenn Frank. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like an uptight dean to me. No. It doesn't sound like the Ferris Bueller evil teacher. No. It sounds like somebody who sees what's about to happen and is begging somebody to get off the railroad track while I'm... I'm good. I'm not going to cry again. That's where I cried. All right. Shut up. <laughs>
1: um,
0: Am I just cold hearted? <laughs> well, just like just the, the just the pleading tone in his voice. You know, yeah. he sees his kids. He sees this group of students and he knows exactly what's about to happen. Right. This is in America. This is a teacher knowing that his own military, who is not supposed to be deployed on U.S. soil, mm-hmm. is about to shoot a bunch of college students. And that's when it happens. The National Guard opened fire for a volley of 13 seconds, and four people were killed. And this all happened in 1970? 1970. 1970. Okay. In the midst of the Vietnam War. Right. And nothing, by the way, helps your cause if you're trying to get kids to go to war, like having right. soldiers inside their own country shooting them. Right. Um, I'm going to continue reading from right after uh, where this happens. This is, once again, sworn testimony. Um He observed 10 to 15 National Guardsmen move towards the students, and the students moved back to the tennis courts. He also saw 20 to 25 National Guards, he just says National Guards, move towards the students up on the right side of the Taylor Hall with their rifles pointed up. He added he heard shots but did not see anything. He added that he believed the shots were fired over the students' heads, but then he heard someone had been killed. He he advised he did not believe this until Ken Hammond told him that somebody had been killed. He advised that he then sat down on the campus. At this time, he was arrested by the Kent State Police University or pol- <laughs> Kent State University Police Department for refusing to disperse and ultimately spent the night in the jail. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep reading. Yeah, keep going. He was next questioned regarding a telephone call allegedly made by someone from. 230 East Main Street on Saturday, May 2nd, 1970, in which the caller said that he had claimed that he took three flares to burn down the ROTC building. Do we see how quickly we move on? Oh, geez. From, oh, by the way, four kids just got killed too. but our beautiful ROTC building. And that's why I said I'd come back to something previously mm-hmm. that we talked about. Yeah. Earlier, we were discussing this previous woman who's given sworn testimony and she's and she says that she did not think or she did not know that the SDS at KSU had anything to do with either the burning of the ROTC building or the May 4th shooting incident. Real quick, the shooting incident, right? That little shooting that happened when the National Guard showed up and shot for a sustained 13 seconds and killed four people in cold blood right on the campus. That little incident are you talking about you guys see what i'm a little bit frustrated yeah, by this absolutely that's mm-hmm. sorry I'm, mike i'm making your life a living this time around <laughs> man i'm so sorry so the next memorandum once again the caption is firebombing of the army rotc building not mass shooting by national guardsmen right of course they're going to cover that up oh, subject line sabotage sedition civil rights federally protected activity destruction of government property though has been added interesting that's all I had to say on that one. So,
1: but the reason they're throwing that information out there for people to hear—oh, this to, isn't. For, this is.
0: This is still confidential memos. All of this is confidential at the time, but it's all written, focused right. on the burning of the ROTC. Right. Volume. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to present
1: it as here's all the crimes. And this is what and then these are the people See, that I don't died. even think that they needed to.
0: I think that but in it, their minds, the shooting was justified.
1: Yes. But what I'm saying is to them, it was justified, but they're still laying it out as here's, here's all, all the, the crimes. reasons they did it. Yeah. And so people in their mind, they're like, oh, well, whoever did these need to come. It needs to come to justice. Oh, and then these four people were killed. Sure. So, oh, well, that makes sense because they probably committed those crimes like just going from point A to point B, even if they're not like correlated at all. Your mind's going to make that connection.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that that was part of it. But I also really do just genuinely think they could have boldface said, oh, yeah, by the way, four kids got killed. Yeah. And no one would have cared because that group in their mind was they weren't people anymore. They right. were enemies. Right. And it's a really handy tactic for when you're in the battlefield. But when you're in America, that's that's not how this works. Right. That's the only part I need to read of that entire memorandum is the subject line. I'm going to be posting these on Instagram via Kyle. Um, I mean, you just send me all of them. There are right some now. truly terrifying <laughs> surveillance photos in here like surveillance photos of supposed arsonists oh jeez look at these these are photos taken and some of them are mug shots but most of Redacted. them are most of them are taken with a telephoto lens from like across a parking lot jeez but I mean, they're they're spying on civilians. Yeah. Like that's not okay. I granted, that's not actually spying. They're investigating a federal crime. Right. But still, it's super spooky to see a kid my age with like a like a shot of him from across the parking lot. It's just right. Super spooky to me. There's not much more to be said here. That that happens, shooting happens, people mourn. Mm-hmm. But more important to the university, to the FBI, and to the U.S. government is their JR or their ROTC building. Right. It's now November of 1974, and this is a little out of order for what I need to talk about next, but um, all I need to read is this for you. On November 8, 1974, at the conclusion of the presentation of the government's case, Chief U.S. District Court Judge Frank J. Battisti directed a verdict of acquittal on all charges against all eight defendants, stating that the government had not sufficiently provided willful intent on the part of subjects to deprive victims of their civil rights. These are the eight soldiers that fired on the students. Acquitted. No charges. Now, this is the thing. Anybody can get scared. Anybody can make a bad choice. Anybody Mm -hmm. can make a snap decision that they later regret. Right. Eight people fired on a crowd of people for 13 seconds. That's not a a quick choice.
1: But yes, but you have to remember when you're shooting a gun, 13 seconds is a long time. Not when it's a semi-automatic. I know, but when you're... In that mindset of shooting, it's a long time to be shooting people. Well, and exactly. that I mean, not, I can not, see not to like shooting to scare and just like one
0: bullet here and there, but... Not to mention they're unarmed. Like, yeah, could, could you shoot were, into a crowd of people that's no. totally unarmed? And that's that's where I'm at a loss. Right. Is, okay, everybody can make mistakes. And I'm sure yeah. that some of these, I, I guarantee you that some of these eight were innocent. They, yeah. they either followed an order, got spooked by somebody else, or, right. or did something that they shouldn't have. But it, somebody fired those shots and somebody fired those shots with intent. And that's what killed the four people that were there. That's what
1: I mean. The 13 seconds is a long time for them to be shooting if they were spooked. So in my opinion, I don't think they were spooked. I think it was an order that was given. I'm not sure. I just know that four people are dead. Opinion. My opinion. There's no nothing backing that,
0: everyone. <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's an absolute fact. Backed up by something Kyle told me. <laughs> I should just repeat it back to you and be like, Kyle told me that," <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. So this is where we're going to kind of close out this bit of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last 20 pages of the 1,272 pages that I read, there is finally one that says the killing of four students at the Kent State University in Ohio, May 4th, 1970 victims and the characteristic of the file is civil rights. So at least they got to mention. Yeah. And it then continues to. It goes down and names pretty much everybody who was injured. We'll get into them in a minute, though. Um, I just I have such a hard time with this because it's so wrong to me that students would have this happen to them. This is where we go into some kind of MKUltra-y stuff. Now, our okay. loyal listeners will know that MK Ultra ostensibly ended in 72. But this is 1974, and it says that on November or on December 30th, 1974, blank blank appeared at the Cleveland office for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So, a person. Uh, it later accidentally identifies it as a female um, <laughs> because they didn't redact she. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I read it that thoroughly. But anyway, it says... Oh, yeah. And exhibited a clipping of paper in which she stated that she had observed on page 9A in the in addition of the Plain Dealer, which is a Cleveland, Ohio newspaper, Mm -hmm. which is in general circulation in northern Ohio. It is noted that there is an article. The article is headlined ex-CIA agent details his activities inside the U.S. So the inside the U.S. is the spooky part. The CIA is an external entity. It's supposed to act outside of the U.S. And it then goes on to detail that she thinks she was being followed by the CIA because of her leftist views. She even left the country. She went that far, which originally sounds a little bit kooky. Right. I'm going to post the whole article because I don't want to waste a bunch of your time reading it. But I, I found the article like there, there is an actual wow. article of it. And it's still in circulation. It's I mean, still, you, could, you could you could still read it if you right. want to. And it's a little spooky. It's uh, there's, there's a couple parts of it a little campy. It could potentially just be someone looking for attention, but it would right. make sense to her. That she was being spied on. And by the way, this is just kind of tossed into the government document idly. So I'm really curious because it doesn't have anything to do with Kent State. It doesn't have anything to do with the shootings. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, just so you guys are aware, we might have been spying on you, but we're only going to toss one page of that in here. So that's a little spooky to me. Yeah. But then they're like, kind of like, it's like, kind of like, oh, you, you got us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. But why would you include it in a government document? Right. Anyway, especially when it's unrelated. Right. Um. I want to close out this little section with this statement. So this is the very last page Mm -hmm. of that whole document. It says, for the additional information of the Bureau, the Cleveland office is currently the repository, in this case, for a voluminous amount of evidence, including physical evidence, such as the M1 rifles used, 45 automatic pistols, etc. Cleveland is desirous of disposing of the same, consistent with um, the—well, that's not even a word, but it would be contingencies— with regard to the pending civil case in the U.S. District Court. So they want to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So the Federal Bureau of Investigation does something right for the first time in a very long time and says, yeah, you're going to give us those. That's ours now. Yeah. And they still didn't convict anybody, but they were able to get the evidence away from the Cleveland guys that wanted to destroy the evidence that was essentially backing up their case. Right. So long story short, guys, this is, and by the way, this is only one part of two, but um, long story short, inside the U.S., under government supervision, four college students were killed. Right. In cold blood for doing nothing wrong. And you guys want to know the truly, truly horrifying part of this whole thing? There, There is worse. It is much worse. Is it going to make me cry? Maybe Let's a see bit. How if, black if, my heart if is. If your dark soul is not that dark. <laughs> Here's the four victims and what they were doing at the time of shooting. Sandy Schuer, 20, of Youngston, Ohio, had been searching for a lost dog on campus only shortly before the shooting. And a friend said that she was on her way back to a speech therapy class when she was shot. Sandy must have thought it was over and stood up, said Sharon Swanson. I saw her lying there on the back, hitting the neck. She wasn't involved in the protest. Victim but two, she was one of the four. Yep. Okay. Victim two, William Schroeder, 19, of Lorraine, Ohio, was an active ROTC member and was watching mainly because he was curious, according to his fellow psychology student, Gene Parkick. Really? An ROTC student. Mm-hmm. Shot and killed. Allison Krause, 19, of the Pittsburgh area, was walking with her boyfriend to class when the firing began. She had just stopped to look around and see what was happening, said a fellow student. Jeffrey Glenn Miller of Plainville, New York, 20 years old, who looked, like, who looked the most like a radical, had carefully steered clear of the jumpy campus the night before and told his mother by telephone, Don't worry, I'm not going to get hurt. You know me. I won't get involved. Miller's connection with the militants, with well, let's see, here, with the militants was third hand at best. The militants was a kind of like the STS. Right. Judging by a mysterious note from a friend found later in his room, I guess I missed you again. It said, My friends or my friends from Michigan are on their way here to start some trouble. I'll look for you later. So we have somebody who actively said he was not going to get involved, despite having left-leaning views. Right. We have somebody who was an active participant in the ROTC. We have somebody who was walking to class, minding their own business. And we have somebody who was from off campus trying to find their dog. You really showed us this time. Guys. Yeah, I was going to say.
1: So essentially, none of them were really involved. None of them were involved in the protest. Not no. a
0: one. I mean, it, this I mean, yeah, the, the one they may the, have had similar views. Well, the ROTC, they were just kind of looking at even what the RTC member said. I was he, they said he was mainly there just to idly see what was going to happen. He was right. He was on the other side of the conflict. And he gets shot.
1: Mm hmm. This isn't the first time something like this has happened no. in the government history.
0: No, it's not. And it's, some, and it's, it's something where it either. may not be the last time it happens if we're not careful. Now, before we go all Kylie Jenner and start handing Pepsi's to people... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear gravy. Uh, yeah, It's actually Kendall Jenner,
1: but good job, oh, Zayn. who the f*** cares?
0: <laughs> I don't care about any of the Kardashians. They're the biggest wastes of life. If you watch the Kardashians, I'm sorry. Go birdwatch or watch grass grow. It's more entertaining and more educational. All right. So... That's not the first time it happened in U.S. history, but more importantly, it's not the first time it's happened in world history. Right. In the U.S., we fought so things like this wouldn't happen. And there was this little thing called the Boston Massacre where some people started throwing rocks and snowballs and the British lit them up because they got spooked. And unfortunately, it wouldn't be the last time that the British lit someone up over getting spooked by rocks. And that's the other part I want to talk about. Um, I know we've already talked about some heavy stuff. we got to talk about some more before this is over because this is important. All of this ties together pretty well. So I'm going to take you overseas. To Derry, Northern Ireland. Oh, uh, um, Derry. Derry comes not, not up every once. Th- not that Derry. Not not the one with it. <laughs> no, no, not that one.
1: No, Derry, Ireland actually comes up a few times in different... Plug, plug, plug. Um, Well, I don't remember specifics of who... Unplug, unplug, unplug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember specifics. I just know that there is true crime that happens in Derry, and it's a very, very small town.
0: Yeah. Derry, actually, the, I'm glad you bring that up, because essentially... Dairy. the reason that it becomes the, the hyper-focus point of this whole narrative that we're about to share is because it's kind of a microcosm of British m- mismanagement. Mm. It's a lot like where America was during the 1770s. It's undervalued as far as its government share. It's been gerrymandered into non-existence. There's no real vote from them, even though the nationalists in Ireland hold a greater majority than the other party that's involved. Right. They have like no say in their own movements. So they're kind of fed up and it leads to the establishment of a couple of groups, the IRA, the PIRA, the provisional IRA, which is kind of a government entity. Mm-hmm. The IRA is a loose term um, because it became a splinter terrorist group over time. So essentially somebody could say, I'm with the IRA, but it wouldn't mean they were actually with the IRA. They might be with a branch of the IRA, but they might not be doing what the IRA would condone. But either way, they're just feeling really frustrated by the fact that the Irish are just kind of getting trodden underfoot, as they always are. Mm -hmm. And this leads to a series of really bad civil unrest things that happen. People are getting shot. People are getting murdered. Now, the Irish aren't exactly, you know, shrinking violets when it comes to violence. Um, But the Brits decide to do, No, I I think basically it went like this in in the Court of Parliament. What should we do? Well, we could give them a measured response where we try to be at least somewhat fair to them. (laughs) Or we could send in the military and make that their police. Well, yes. If that if the question was, "What is the most asinine thing we can possibly do?" Then yes, that that one wins by landslide. <laughs> and that is exactly what they did. They sent the freaking military in and said, "Oh, hey, you guys are too violent. Let's add more guns." Yeah. Looking at you, Atlanta. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they ha- now you have the military walking around, which is a huge infringement on what they feel like is their rights. It's very similar, once again, to seventeen seventy six. Yes,
1: but it's all. It's also for some reason make me think of. What's happening in Hong Kong?
0: Yeah, very similar. It's yeah. it's a similar story. So essentially, in my opinion, it's a waning government with an ostensibly silly gubernatorial system trying to flex its muscles as its empire dies. Yeah. And Ireland should be free and it should be a separate nation because Ireland is not part of the UK. Mm-hmm. Ireland has been a proud country. It just so happens that it cannot get away from its old benefactor. Right. So... The time is August 1971, and they do, again, the most asinine thing possible. They create this thing called internment without trial because apparently it's so violent that we should just start interning people. Now, internment, there were internment camps, Mm -hmm. camps of people being rounded up without trial, which, by the way, when you remove a trial, it removes the need for a crime to intern you. So tossing people in left and right. And so the violence kicks up because, you know, the way you fix violence is by interning people. Mussolini, Hitler, nobody learned anything. Mm. Didn't you guys fight a huge war with those guys? Didn't right. London get reduced to rubble by some guys that thought internment camps were a good call? I'm just right. saying. Yeah, no, You'd you're right. you think that somebody would have realized. But anyway, so August 1971 rolls around. Because of escalating violence, we've decided that we're going to intern you without trial because, you know, Great Britain. And then it just gets worse. In Ballymurphy, a paratrooper with a British soldier, or at least a British soldier, kills 11 civilians. It's called the Ballymurphy Massacre. 21 others die in the next three days of rioting. This is three days after this goes down. The Irish move quick. But 21 people, that's seven people a day, get murdered by British soldiers. Granted, some of them probably were, you know, (laughs) the Irish were armed. They were fighting back. It wasn't just sticks and stones. It was guns and ammo. Right. It was a real thing. But 21 people die in the first three days. And it just keeps getting worse. One British soldier, the day after this gets established, this internment clause, gets Mm -hmm. shot in the head by a sniper rifle, long range, in Derry. And that's when it gets really bad. So this is kind of the whole band of brothers mentality. If you get sent to Derry, you know you're in a shit posting. And if you're there, you know that every Irishman wants your blood. Right. And as such, you're told all the horror stories about the terrible, terrible things they've done. Happened in Vietnam, happens in Afghanistan. And so you have a bunch of jumpy soldiers- fingers on triggers that are there and so the british think what's the best possible thing we can do i know let's deploy this group of soldiers that are essentially the lapd in there now for those of you who are not from the u.s <laughs> our lapd i'm sure has some great um police force or some great officers mm-hmm. but the ones that end up on tv are the ones that did the rodney king riots and the best way to describe them is probably boom 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 boom, boom. lAPD don't move <laughs> so um Shoot before you say anything. Exactly. That's, Hmm. that's the LAPD of the eighties that has kind of unfortunately rolled over till now. Right. And so they sent in a paratrooper unit, the first paratrooping, uh, the first paratrooper battalion, and they're considered the most heavy handed. They've been in stuff like this before and they're not lightweights. And that was intentional in my opinion. Yeah. These guys are brutal. And I think they're pretty hardcore. I've got to assume they're kind of like the 101st airborne division. Mm -hmm. But once again, this is a military unit being deployed in a civilian populace that is hardcore as hell. Like, It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'd be like deploying Navy SEALs because you're a little bit worried about a civilian uprising. Now, granted, civilian uprising with guns, different. Someone gets shot already, different. So I could see kind of the logic there. But at the same time, you deploy somebody who can negotiate. You don't deploy more guns into a hot zone. Right. And so by the end of the year, actually by the end of December, six more British soldiers are dead. Sorry, December, what was the year again? 71. Okay. Six more British soldiers are dead. The Irish have fired 1,332 rounds, man, blown up two two 211 explosives of unknown origin and 180 nail bombs, which are really nasty. Yeesh. So they put nails in an explosive and then they fire it off and it shoots projectiles in every way. Real nasty stuff, especially Oof. if they're rusty, it can give you tetanus. Yeah, uh, it's what the it's it's what a lot of home cook bombs are made of. Right. Um. And the Brits on the other side, and this is something where I can say they've made at least a decent choice, maybe not the best choice, have only fired 360 rounds. Mm -hmm. So granted, gunfights are still gunfights. But when you're showing that much restraint in the face of that much explosive power, usually you just leave the country and let them have freedom or you run away across the ocean while we pour your tea in the harbor, Britain. What, what? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so by the end of the year, 30 soldiers are dead. 30 Mm -hmm. British soldiers are dead, which is, by the way, three times the amount that had happened prior to the internment clause. Mm-hmm. So clearly it's working perfectly. The IRA at this point has erected 29 barricades around a portion of dairy, 16 of which cannot be accessed by armored vehicles. Jeez. One-ton vehicles. So they're building like rubble barricades. Uh-huh. And they dubbed this place new, or free dairy. And there's actually a really cool painting, uh, if you ever want to look it up, um, on the wall of this tavern going in by one of the barricades. It says, you are now entering free dairy, you have been warned. Oh, geez. It's a no-go zone for the Brits, or was during this conflict. I, mean, I that, think it might still be. It, I don't know for sure, but it's it's been very clear. Because I, sure, I know that dairy still has it's, well, I mean, issues it's, with it's England. The, it's the place where this happens. So, right. They have free dairy. They've written down where it is. The Brits know we cannot go in there. Mm -hmm. That is a bad zone. It's the place where the cops won't go. It's the place where the police or the military won't go. That is Irish property. And there's actually skirmishes repeatedly. And it doesn't say whether gunfights happened or anything, but it says skirmishes. I couldn't find any more details between the military and the residents of Free Dairy. Um, on street corners enough that four million pounds of, and not pounds in weight, but pounds in uh, monetary gain are lost in the process of it. Just due to the destruction on the street corners surrounding these barricades, but they still can't get through them. And so this is all taking place in this kind of buildup from August. Once again, when the internment clause is set is sanctioned Mm -hmm. to now we're in the new year. We're in January of 1972. And this is when the fit hits the Shan guys. Prime Minister Faulkner, in his infinite wisdom, the internment clause, (laughs) oh my gosh, in the infinite wisdom that he possesses, bans parades or marches in Northern Ireland for the remainder of the year. Keep in mind, this is a time when marches and parades were the only form of protest that they could make. He bans them with the full knowledge that there is about to be a huge march. The next day, there is a huge, well, actually, I apologize. Four days later, there's a march because the Irish said, hold my beer and watch this. Uh-huh. And as they should have, that they marched. A terrible accent. <laughs> I'm sorry. How many Irishmen do you know? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> the Irish probably at like two and no, I would say probably like 9 a.m. said, hold my beer and watch this. Um, and they marched. Mm-hmm. They marched en masse and they marched to an internment camp. And some of them got the crap kicked out of them by the the guards at the camp. Right. So much so that the only reason these guys stopped beating them up is because their officers forcibly pulled them off of these people that are peacefully protesting, by Mm -hmm. the way. Now, granted, it's the Irish. There's really no such thing as a peaceful protest, but it's as close to a peaceful protest as they get. Right. Right. So I'm sure that some people were throwing bottles and rocks, but it was a peaceful protest, at least in its intent. But it was still illegal, according to British law. Right. And so... That's when the first the first paratroops get deployed. Once again, very heavy-handed. Not exactly negotiators, as we're going to find out. January 30th rolls around the next day. And another march is organized. Because the Irish are trying to take back their country. And they're actually doing it in the most peaceful possible way. They haven't picked up guns. They're not bombing things. Some of them are. But these protests are not that. They're not war fighting plans. They're not trying to take something. They're just marching against what is ostensibly against civil rights, no matter how you slice it. So they start marching. And, of course, it escalates a bit. Rocks get thrown. Tear gas gets fired. You can imagine the tired eyes of some soldier who's been posted there too long. Oh, good. They're back. Tear gas goes out. Rubber bullets. Okay, we're good to go. Are you guys done now? Can we go to bed? I'm sure that there was a little bit of just grind, just burnout yeah. that was happening. Yeah. And unfortunately, the the first paratroops battalion were far from ground out. They were amped and they were ready to go. And so they take up position on a third story building. Um, some of the paratroops take mm-hmm. up a position in a third story building. hmm and someone starts throwing rocks at the windows of this third story building, some some Irish protesters. And so naturally, the uh, exact response is that they open with automatic weapons fire on of this course, crowd of people. Of course, because that's your first reaction. Yep. So they start shooting down and they hit two people. Um, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on that later, but I'm okay. not going to say names quite yet. We're okay. going gonna to get there. The Paratroopers are then ordered to arrest any of the rioters. Now, keep in mind that there's a distinction there. The camp, uh, whoever was in charge of these soldiers, rather... Says, arrest the rioters. Do not chase them. Only arrest those that are rioting. Well, right. this jack named, let's see here, what's his full name? I'm going to say this for everybody to hear Colonel Derek Wilford.
1: <laughs> Colonel, it's my uncle, Derek Wilford
0: <laughs> decides to take off and start chasing down people. That immediately removes the line between rioter and peaceful protester because he's just running through the crowd grabbing people and then armored military vehicles start rolling down the streets. At least two people were run over by these. It doesn't say if they were killed, Mm -hmm. but they start just hopping out and grabbing people. Now, I want to go back just a bit here, but there's something I wanted to bring up. So the soldiers are completely out of control. They're firing at close range with rubber bullets, which can pierce the skin. But I, as far as I'm aware, they can't really kill you unless maybe they point-blanked you with it or something like that. Yeah,
1: I mean, it depends on how close you are. Yeah,
0: but I mean, you're firing them out of an AR. They're not not a nice thing to have happen Right. They're just totally out of control. They're clubbing people. People report having soldiers tell them to their face while they're pinned on the ground, I'm going to kill you. Out of control. Absolutely out of control. Chimps on parade. And this is where I, I kind of had this image of what must have happened. So I want you to picture something, Kyle. You're walking mm-hmm. down the road. You're with your wife, your friend, somebody you care about. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're involved in the protest. You know that's against the law. But all of a sudden, right. a heavily armed man, armored up, grabs your wife and just starts hauling her away. What is the natural thing to do? Chase after him. I know for me, I'd kick his I'd yeah. start pounding. And you know what? It wouldn't matter if you had a badge on. That's my wife. Get your hands her. Yeah. And I think that's probably what happened in a lot of these cases. I mean, the probably. natural reaction is you were going to defend not, not to mention the friction and the tension of the situation, but just the natural human inclination is to protect the person you care about. And I think that's where things just get really out of hand. Yeah. And it starts to get worse. Civilians are chased around and are being shot at with live ammunition at this point. Um, Soldiers take cover behind a wall, and they open fire on a group of people, and that's how the sixth and seventh victims are killed. Mm-hmm. Civilians are chased into several courtyards, essentially bowls, and shot like fish in a barrel um, mm-hmm. by these soldiers. And the only fatality, by the way, that was present in one of those courtyards was a priest. I don't know if there's a, a greater irony there. Yeah. Um, so by the end of this, 26 Irishmen are shot, 13 of them are killed, one dies 14 months later from uh, <clears throat> or four months later rather, from associated injuries. All of those people that were killed were claimed hostiles by the British soldiers who killed them. They said, Oh yeah, they had guns, they had bombs, they had something, and that was why we ended them. And I took the liberty of looking up all the victims. So I want to go through those real quick. Good. John Jackie Dudley, age 17, shot as he ran from the soldiers in the car park of the Rossville Flats. Bullet struck him in the shoulder, entered his chest. Three witnesses said that they saw a soldier take deliberate aim at the youth as he ran away. He was the first bruta- or first fatality on Bloody Sunday. Okay. Both, sp- or so There were two reports, the Savile Report and the Widgery Report. Both the Savile and Widgery Report concluded that Duddy was unarmed. Michael Kelly, age 17, shot in the stomach while standing at the rebel barricade in Rossville. Both the Saville and the Widgery Report conclude that Kelly was unarmed. Hugh Gilmore, age 17, shot as he ran away from the soldiers. He was unarmed. William Nash, 19, shot in the chest at the rebel barricade. Three people were shot, apparently going to his aid, including his own father, Alexander Nash. John Young, 17, shot in the face at the rebel barricade, apparently crouching to go to the aid of William Nash. Michael McCade, 20, shot in the face at the Rebel Barricade, apparently while crouching to go to the aid of William Nash. Kevin McIlney, age 17, shot from behind near the Rebel Barricade while attempting to crawl to safety. All these people sound like they're direct threats, right? You get shot in the back? You're definitely right. charging on. Right. <sighs> Jim Ray, 22, shot in the back while running away from soldiers in Galfita Park Courtyard. He was then shot again in the back as he lay mortally wounded on the ground. Witnesses who were not called at the Widgery Trib- Tribunal stated that Ray was calling out that he couldn't move his legs before he was shot the second time. Uh. William McKinney shot in the back as he attempted to flee through Galfenda Park. He was 26 years old. Gary McKinley, age 35, shot in the chest at Abbey Park, a soldier identified as Private G. By the way, they obscured the names of all the soldiers in the trial. They only gave them alphabetical names so that the Irish wouldn't go kill them, which granted is probably pretty nice for them, but gives them an anonymity I'm not comfortable with.
1: Yes. However, I do understand the mob because, justice. Yeah. Yes, because the Irish has been oppressed by the British so for so long, and they've had so many different uprisings where the government just or where. Oh well, yeah, you just, give them a name,
0: they'll find you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and the IRA was kind of infamous for yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame them, but I this one's pretty bad. Yeah. Um. So Jerry McKinley shot in the chest. By soldier identified as Private G as he ran through an alleyway from Galfenda Park, shot him from a few yards away. Witnesses said that he when they when he saw the soldier, McKinney stopped, held his arms up and shouted, don't shoot, don't shoot. Before being shot, the bullet apparently went through his body and shut or er, and struck Gerard Donahue, who was behind him. And then it's got Gerard Donahue, who was 17 years old, shot in the stomach at Abbey Park while standing behind Gerard, McK- er, Gerard McKinney. Two bystanders then attempted to move Donahue to a hospital, but the car was stopped at an army checkpoint. They were ordered to leave the car, and a soldier drove it to a regimental aid post where an army medical officer pronounced Donahue dead. They went through his pockets, and they found some bombs in his pockets. Um, it was concluded that he probably did have those bombs on him. They weren't planted. There was some confusion about it, but it was concluded that he probably did. problem was he wasn't brandishing them, and he was running away. He literally held his hands up and said, don't shoot. Well, the guy in front of him said, don't shoot. He Mm -hmm. wasn't doing anything. He got shot. He was a a casualty as a collateral damage. He died, in my opinion, because they were stopped at that checkpoint. Yeah. And it's not over. (laughs) Patrick Doherty, 31, shot from behind while attempting to crawl to safety in the court of the Rossville Flats. Despite testimony from Soldier F that he shot a man holding a pistol, the Widgery account acknowledged that the photographs showed Doherty was unarmed and that forensic tests on his hands for gunshot residue proved negative. So this Soldier F, by the way, we'll hear about him again. Okay. Barney McWiggin, age 41, shot in the back of the head when he walked out from cover to help Patrick Doherty. The guy who supposedly had a pistol on him? Yeah. Back of the head. That sounds like he was a real threat once again. He'd been waving a white handkerchief to indicate his peaceful intentions. Oh, no. The inquiry concluded he was shot by Soldier F. He was the priest. Oh. John Johnston shot in the leg on William Street 15 minutes before the rest of the shooting started. Johnston was not involved in the march. He actually was the one who died of um, later complications. Mm-hmm. He was 50, or he was 59 years old. So, real quick, I want you to notice how many of these people were shot in the back or the back of the head. Among the majority of them. The vast majority of them. Um, we're going to come back to Soldier F, but essentially all of this happens. All these people are shot and killed. The British bring several, I didn't, I couldn't find how many, I think it was eight soldiers to trial. Soldier F is the one who brutally executed that one guy at least that we know Mm -hmm. if he walked up and shot the guy who was laying on his back. Right. The Savile Inquiry concluded, based on the evidence, that Soldier F also killed Michael Kelly, Patrick Doherty, Barney or and Barney McGeehan. But the evidence from the inquiry was inadmissible to the prosecution, and only the evidence capable of identifying the soldier who fired the relevant shots came from Soldier F's co accused Soldier G, who unfortunately is deceased. Relatives of the bloody Sunday victims expressed feelings of devastation that only one soldier would face trial for the killings. And was it Soldier F? It was not Soldier F. Jeez. Oh, soldier F got away scot free. Up that Seriously. screams all the way to hell. So. Seriously. That's the end of Sunday, Bloody Sunday. So if you've heard Sunday, Bloody Sunday by U2, that's what the song's about. If you've heard Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, it's about Kent State. The reason I wanted to talk about all of this, even though it's some pretty heavy material, is that this is real. This happened. And it's going to happen again if we don't fix some things. First off, political divisions. Yes. Yes. There needs to be a lot more coming together. And if not coming together, I can't ask for peace. I can just ask you to try to have some tolerance and understand the people around you have some deeply held beliefs, even if you think they're wrong. See, and that's the thing is even even if you think they're wrong,
1: even if you don't agree with their opinions, you can still be friends. I have friends that we don't agree politically at all.
0: Kyle's got me in as a friend. any way. And yet we're still friends. And in fact, I go to dinner with some of them. And you know what? Whether it's politics, religion, whatever it is, you're going to have differences with people all throughout this life. And I 100% believe that our current political system advocates for the division of everyone that Mm -hmm. they can because it gets them better votes. So the best thing you can do Mm -hmm. is just have your opinion on things and share it when asked, but don't bother shooting other people down because that's literally the impetus for both of these was an opinion or an ideal. Right. Now, granted, Ireland's a little bit different. There Mm -hmm. There was already an ongoing conflict and I don't want to minimize any of that. There were brave soldiers on both sides who got injured in this process. Yeah. I think Britain's established leading party at this point was totally flawed, but all of this was over ideas, guys. So I need you to remember that next time you go into something, obviously you're not ideally going to escalate to the point where people right, die, right? but that's how it starts. And so don't be a part of that problem. Just make it a habit to agree to disagree with people or just make it a habit to Think that what they have to share might be of some value. Yeah, I
1: mean, and if you don't agree with them, just tell them, you know, what? I don't agree with that. But let's agree to disagree and I move on from agree. that. I mean, if you're getting heated, that's the that, at that point. That's when it should be. Let's agree to disagree so it doesn't turn into what it shouldn't be.
0: Now, there is one odd ism here mm-hmm. that I wanted to go over. See, in 1973, the year following this, a certain building was constructed. and That building was the Twin Towers. I did not know it was. They were built that. They were early. built in 1973. So bringing it all the way back, guys. Completed or started? Completed. Okay. The building was completed in 1973. So the twin towers are up, and we're going to keep going through uh, some more episodes until we come to the day where they no longer exist on the skyline, and we're going to talk about why. But I want to bring up one point here. Ideas led to the fall of those towers. Ideas that people strongly held, and they weren't listened to. Or from the other side of the perspective. Ideas that were slammed into someone's mind until they no longer believed in what they believed in. And so I just want to end on that note, but I also do want to bring up one other piece of 1970s history. Okay. You see, there's a huge conspiracy that happens right at the end of the 70s. Elvis dies in 1977, and you know what? He's just dead, guys. He's dead. <gasps> you don't know that. He's not living under Area you 51. not know. He's not a mole man. So <laughs> with know. that note, Elvis is dead. <laughs> no, but for real, Elvis is dead. Do not test me on this. Do not at me here. Fine. I won't say anything. Elvis is dead. (laughs) I got to smile about something. I've been frowning for like an hour. Okay, what about Tupac? Tupac could be alive. Mm. That's a a questionable one. Okay. But Elvis is freaking dead. Okay. And he died in 1977. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm just kidding. But anyway, so guys, Kyle has an apology to make (laughs) for... Jerking us around like a rolling Volkswagen?
1: Yes, thank you for that visual. I appreciate it. You big jerk. (laughs) Because I'm presenting next week, I don't want people to think that I'm going to do that every single week like what I did last week.
0: Where he pulled the old switcheroo.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to do that again. The wool over our eyes. But I I felt like I needed to throw it in so that it would get you questioning what's happening so you're not just believing every word that comes out of our mouth. He lied. (laughs) Liar!
0: (laughs) He's not going to do it again. He's real sorry.
1: Am I? I'm just kidding. Yes, I am.
0: (laughs) He's he's not sorry. It was brilliant. I just hate him for it. But you guys, it's been a dark episode. Go home. Hug your loved ones. Hold your beliefs and share what you believe with people when they ask for it. Yes, absolutely. And And don't be afraid
1: to share it. Just know when it's, it's becoming too heated. That's when you just need to agree to disagree.
0: Yep. And there's, you know, there's never a bad time to, to tell somebody you love that you care about them. Yeah, there's never absolutely. a bad time to tell someone who needs it that they need help. Yeah. Just remember that we are here for you. We're your friends here at Pair of Guys, <laughs> except for Kyle, who's a total jerk. And I'm still <laughs> upset about the fact that none of that was real. I'm all right. I'm good. My Xanax just kicked in. I am Zen. I am peace. I am Nirvana. This has been Pair of Guys. Thank you for joining us. I'm Zane. And I'm Kyle. And you have been listening to Pair of Guys. Register to vote. And if you didn't already listen to the last, you know, bunch of episodes, don't trust the government. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Thanks.
1: To keep up to date on what's happening on the podcast, follow us on Instagram at guys pair of Also, if you have any stories you want to share with us, email us at pnormalguys at gmail.com.